When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Dale. Got a new assignment for you. Vacation. Uh, thanks, boss. Y- you mean it? You betcha. Self-care is good for business. Sometimes things just get better, like AT&T. We've invested more than $150 million to grow our wireless network coverage to over 99% of Nebraska. Visit att.com slash Nebraska and learn how to get a free smartphone when you switch to AT&T. Coverage not available everywhere. Over 99% coverage based on third-party data. Network investments based on 2018 through 2020 expenditure. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ and thank you again for joining me this season. It's been a while, almost two months since I last recorded a show. I'm wondering, did you guys miss me? Probably not, I'm tipping, so look, I'm not offended if that's the case and to be honest, I didn't miss basketball that much. It's It allowed me to, I guess, do some things with my time that I normally wouldn't get to do, so I enjoyed the break, but with media day and preseason fast approaching... I thought it was time to take a break from my, well, from my break and get back into the swing of things here. So I'm back, the pot is back, but I didn't expect to be back so soon. We're here coming at you with another show, but not one I expected to be recording. My idea was to come back maybe next week before the start of prison with a a bit of a season preview, but instead I'm back a week early thanks to the shenanigans taking place with our old friends there in Minnesota. So... I want to do a podcast, a bit of a warm-up, and given what's going on in Minnesota, it seems apt to uh, to do a podcast here. So I know it seems highly odd to be talking about another team on the first show back after an extended break, but with former Bull Jimmy Butler requesting a trade from the Timberwolves, now's as good a time as any to get back on the mic and talk hoops. So for this show, we'll be talking Wolves, we'll be talking Jimmy Butler's pending exit, We'll be talking what it means for Thibodeau and what he needs to do from here on, going through all of those things in detail. But this show won't just be about the Timberwolves. Whenever you talk Jimmy Butler or whatever, whenever you talk Tom Thibodeau, somehow or some way, for good or bad, the Bulls are always linked to this story. So I guess we're going to bring this thing around back to the Chicago Bulls. So what I want to do here is go over the, the, the key details of what sort of transpired in the last 24 hours or so, but... I also want to revisit the Jimmy Butler trade, generally speaking as well, because whenever something happens with the Wolves, whether it's Butler going down with an injury last season, 
them making the playoffs and getting bundled out uh, after five games there to the Houston Rockets, whatever the situation may be, I guess the the Wolves and the Bulls will forever be linked until, well, not forever, but at least for the, over the last 15 months or so they have been. So I want to bring it back around to the, the, the trade itself and, and revisit that and, and I guess what it means 15 months on and, and who who's won, who lost the trade. There's been a lot of talk about that amongst Bulls fans. So I want to revisit that topic in general. So let's get into it. Joining me today to discuss all this is my old friend and Bulls HQ regular, Morton Jensen. Morton, thank you for joining me, mate. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a while. It's been a while, mate. Been a while since I last recorded a podcast, but been a, lot, a while since we last spoke as well. How, how's everything yeah. been? Hopefully all good. All good. All good on my end. Just uh, enjoying the summer. Uh, well, the summer is over now, but I did enjoy the summer. Uh, Brian was here in Denmark. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty fun. We had a great time. We we went to an amusement park. Like he, he and his wife Alex were here for for just a couple of days because they they were in Europe anyway for I believe it was a christening um, uh, or something like that. And and then they just took like this detour to Denmark for a couple of days, which is immensely fun. And now my son, like he enjoyed that visit so much. Like he's asking <laughs> me virtually every day. So how many days until Brian and Alex return? I was like, dude. <laughs> It's not that simple. They live in Nashville. It's it's yeah. pretty far. <laughs> and for those people that don't know, Brian is Morton's co-host on the NBA yep. podcast, and certainly is. I feel a little bit jealous, to be honest with you, that you and you and Brian were gallivanting all across Denmark there, and I was here doing nothing. For those that aren't aware, Morton and I used to have a, an old Bulls podcast, so it's kind of like seeing your ex-wife or your ex-girlfriend mm. partner up with someone else and I know out there you know just roaming around town enjoying life or you're at home and just stuck at home doing nothing that sort of thing that's kind of what I felt like when I when I saw on Twitter that you guys were catching up and meeting uh, in person can, which we've never done yeah. it was tough man I, I can I can relate you know you have so many guests on I think I, I look at you as being single and you're just sleeping with everyone right now <laughs> yeah well I mean that can have, that can, it's okay for now, I suppose, but you don't want to be that single guy when you're like your 30s, 40s, or 50s or whatever, <laughs> still talking to young guys about basketball. Right. It might be a bit odd. You want to settle down yeah. eventually, right? Yeah, right. And, and you're actually engaged, which is like the most ironic thing about this. <laughs> it's just we have weird relationships. It's, it's so uncanny. But no, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny having, having these relationships, you know, over uh, like – you know oceans and whatever like we, we I, I don't know if you've seen this this is kind of tragic actually you have a fellow countryman who is uh, a podcast ho- host on a i think a marvel show uh adam yeah adam I don't house know, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah like his podcasting partner over in los angeles or the, the california area he went missing for example and, and adam was just um and I don't have an update on the situation, and, and Adam was just, you know, heartbroken about it. And I, I think it's 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 interesting to see how over the last couple of years we've just had so many, you know, cross nation podcasts and web shows coming out. Like people are really getting friendships and relationships, you know, with people who are thousands of miles away. I mean, there's something special to that, and I, and I feel that's that's noteworthy in some sense. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, it's the power of the internet. I wouldn't be able to do this right now. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation. We'd never, ever meet. I would never be able to talk bulls with you, with anyone else I've ever talked bulls with. I wouldn't be able to go on Twitter and just 
you know, right. rant about the Bulls like we do. Um, it's the power of the internet. Like the, the internet can be a dark place sometimes, but it does have oh, its yeah. worth. And I think this is an example of that. The, the people that you can meet online, it's always a good news story. And, and you brought up relationships more than I want to talk yeah. relationships today because it seems like the relationship between Jimmy Butler and the Minnesota Timberwolves is coming to an end. And I spoke about it on the intro. It's not necessarily a Bulls topic specifically, but the Bulls are inexplicably always linked when it when it comes to, I guess, the Wolves and Butler and, and Thibodeau and all those sorts of things. And given the magnitude of this news, I wanted to talk about it. It's been a while since I've podcast, and um, I thought that was a pretty good segue. Not to, or to be honest with you, on, on the first show back for for two months, I'm kind of happy with that one. So yeah, look, let's talk. Let's talk <laughs> Butler. Let's talk Wolves. Most people let's. are probably familiar with the situation now, anyway. But it seems like. Butler and the Wolves will be, uh, I guess, parting ways pretty quickly. It's kind of odd to be in this situation given, I guess, we're only a well less than a week from media day for most teams out there. Mm. So the Wolves and Butler will be parting at some point, it would seem, or I guess that would be the logical move based on where this thing has been heading. But um, I guess we're in this position now more because it seemed like uh, Jimmy Butler wanted the Timberwolves to really take care of him in the summer in the sense that they want, he wanted them to, I guess, rene- renegotiate and extend his contract, something the Wolves didn't agree to. They uh, offered him a four-year deal instead, but obviously he did not accept that one, Willing to, uh, wanting to play the free agent game, rather. So what that's led to is a bit of a meeting between him and uh, coach-slash-president of basketball operations, Tom Thibodeau. They met in LA, and basically the result of that has been Jimmy Butler requesting a trade, and he wants to head mm-hmm. to a big market. It seems like it's the Clippers, but the Knicks and yeah. the Nets have also been mentioned. So it seems like he's pushing himself out of the Wolves and maybe maybe to the, the Los Angeles Clippers. So what do you make about all this whole thing? I mean, it's been pretty quiet in a basketball sense for the last few weeks, and all of a sudden, Bulls, or not Bulls, <laughs> Butler and Tibbs and the Wolves, they've hit the, the news, and it's been a little bit fun here. Yeah, well, the Timberwolves. The I mean, Timberwolves, that's the it. Bulls. Yeah. Um, well, apparently, Jimmy prefers the Clippers and then... And secondarily, it's the Knicks, and then the Nets is is like a I I don't know if it's a distant third, but it's actually it's definitely the third option right now. It, it's just he's looking for a place to go where he can bring Kyrie because those three places have the opportunity to get not just Butler or retaining Butler, but also having enough cap space to sign Kyrie outright. So one of the things I've saw seen on Twitter since this report came out was. Why trade for Butler if you can sign him in, in, in free agency? And, well, you have to remember, like, the Minnesota angle here is, is essential because they want to get something for him. Like, they don't want to lose him for nothing. That that would just be idiotic. Look what they gave up. That's They gave up a, a big package, and, and losing Butler for, for nothing is just handing over several draft picks in a row when you look at it through the car foreman uh, lenses. Um so, so yeah, I, I I don't know what happened with that relationship in Minnesota. You know, obviously there's a lot of speculation with him and Towns, and you know, last night even more information came out. Some of it is kind of wobbly. Like I don't know how much stock we should put into like the personal yeah. areas, like yeah, I don't, I don't really want to get into that. Yeah, who who knows if that's <clears> no, true? I I think we should refrain from it because that's just gossip. Yeah, you know, but we, what we do know for a fact is tension has been building. You know, between. Butler and Towns and Butler and Wiggins. Like we saw Andrew Wiggins' brother, Nick, I believe, yeah. like tweet out hallelujah after the report of Butler 
<laughs> demanding a trade or requesting a trade. And, you know, Butler has that feel on people that is he's he rubs people the wrong way because he's very demanding he's very kobe bryant-esque in that sense and that and in that regard we saw it with the bulls as well like his last season there like the youngsters denzel valentine jerry and grand those guys they were pretty fed up with with jimmy and Dwayne because they were requesting those guys to like improve their work work habits and i'm i'm just split down the middle i don't know where you stand on this but uh I don't think it's like this situation is bad either way, but I feel like the the blame is being put like solely on Jimmy, where I feel it's way more 50-50 than that. Like if you have a lot of young guys who just doesn't put in the work, that's an issue in and of itself. So by let's say you trade Butler now, are you then going to reward Towns and Wiggins in that sense? Like, hey, look, we got this de- demanding presence out of the way, so now you can just coast as you want to coast. That's not optimal either. So it's it's a tug of war, I feel, and it's it's just a weird situation overall. But I kind of get where Jimmy's coming from. I will say he handled the way, you know, he handled Wiggins in particular very badly and, and with Towns as well. Like he he just did not understand where, what drove them. And great leaders acknowledge, okay, this guy has a different drive than this other guy, and I need to make sure that I – I kind of shape him in this manner that he prefers and this manner that he prefers because then I'm going to get most out of them. And Jimmy was like, no prisoners. I'm going to do it my way. And if anyone has a problem with that, screw you, whatever. That's the wrong approach. But I also understand like coming up from nothing like Tumble, Texas and and having nothing and not being on the radar at all for anything and, you know, turning himself into an all NBA player. I, I totally understand where he's coming from. Yeah, it's a complicated one because I agree with a lot of what you said there. And, and, and look, I think you're right. Look, it's hard to just pin it all on Jimmy Butler. And, and whilst I say that, obviously he needs to be better, a better leader. Like, yeah. as a leader, you need to adapt to the varying, the varying people you deal with. You need to adapt your communication style to the mm. certain people because not everyone's the same. Some people, uh, I guess, react to information differently. So it would seem that. Towns and Wiggins and maybe others in that locker room don't respond to to Jimmy Butler's all or nothing type attitude, whereas you know someone like Taj Gibson and obviously Tom Dibbit, uh, Thibodeau, those guys probably do respond to that. So you you need to be able to cater your message to a specific person, and and I guess that's part of being a leader, not only just as a player, but I guess as a coach as well. But so Jimmy needs to be better in that regard. But at the same time, it, it, like I said, and, and like you said, it, it's kind of hard to pit it all on him because. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, they basically asked him, are, are you going to try hard? Are you going to try and be better uh, before we give you this max deal? He obviously said, yeah. yes, he would do that, put in the work, etc. But he regressed last season. He's getting paid $30 million and he's a mediocre NBA player. And Carl Towns, he regressed last season, didn't really try much on defense. So... It's kind of hard to put it all on Butler when you, you, we make jokes about Towns and Wiggins and maybe a couple other guys being these soft players that don't necessarily put in the work type thing. So I think Butler is to blame, but I don't think he is the sole reason for this issue. But it would appear right. that Towns is trying to maybe push Butler out of here and, and Jimmy, I guess, mm. doesn't necessarily want to be there if Butler, uh, uh, sorry, if Towns is shoving him out and if the Wolves are not going to pay up what Butler is seeking in terms of that big five-year deal, then yeah, it probably makes sense for both parties to part ways, really. Yeah, uh, I think that is just spot on all the way through. Um 
Uh, and then comes the big question, like, what is the return? Like, where is he getting sent? One thing is, like, a player can come in with a list. That team doesn't really need to listen to the list. If someone out there is going to make an offer, and we saw this with the Kawhi Leonard situation, and I'll get back to Toronto, by the way, later on. You know, teams can come out and make, an, make a pitch and, and make an offer, and the trading team can go, you know what, this is the best offer we can get, so we're going to trade him to that team. And then lists, lists are, are disregarded. So you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not really sure that he ends up on one of those three teams this year. He might do it, you know, in the summer, which coincidentally makes <laughs> like you would then look at Butler's uh, basketball reference page and then you would look at him playing for four different organizations for four different years, which would be really crazy when you think about it like when has a guy of that caliber you know ever been you know so switchy onto teams you know that that would be something else but i i have a sense he's going somewhere else i wouldn't be surprised if someone else you know went in with this mindset of going hey you know what if we trade for butler now we have a year to sell him on our, our on our culture and our on our staff and see what we can do and but I think the receiving team also has to be professional. It has to be a team that operates in the Miami Heat mindset. Like if you look at the Miami Heat, they are by far the most demanding team in the league when it comes to like physical practice and, you know, physical development practice time. Like they have insane practice schedules. Like they're, they go hardcore all the time. And if Miami sees like a lacy player, they cut bait immediately. So that, that type of culture, I don't think they can get Butler. I don't think they have the assets to it, but that type of culture is what fits Jimmy's like that's, he would be doing so much better in that kind of environment. So you need to make sure that you have serious players on your roster, players who are absolutely committed to getting better, committed to winning, committed to, to playing hard on the floor at all times. Uh, And if you don't, then don't bother because it won't, won't make sense. You'll just get into the same issues that, we saw this year and the year before with Chicago. Yeah, I, look, I definitely agree that the Heat seem like a cultural fit with Butler because they're not a team that, or they're a team that always is in win now mode. Rarely are they tanking. Right. Rarely are they trying to build through through youth. They're clearly trying to win at the moment. And, and whilst I don't necessarily have the top end talent to real be real contenders, that they're, they're not a team that's given up in that sense. They brought back their team. They pay their guys. They're trying to win games. Mm. And, and and we and the. All the reasons you mentioned there, the Heat are a logical fit from that perspective. But it's just odd timing because I guess I sort of understand why he's waited this long. Maybe, you know, things can fracture over time. You don't necessarily can predict when these sorts of things can happen. If new new information came out that Butler wasn't aware of that he learned, say, in the last few weeks, um, then he's going to force his way. He has to force his way out now sort of thing. He couldn't necessarily do that in July if that information wasn't present at that point. But... I, I guess the issue here is the fact that he's waited this long. He's potentially limited his, his suitors, but in the same right. sense, he's he's pushing towards the Clippers. He's maybe pushing towards the Knicks and Nets. And you alluded to it. They're three teams that are going to have ample cap space to to bring in a guy like Butler, but also maybe one or at least one max free agent, but potentially two, depending on um, a few maneuvers that they they those teams could sort of uh, pull around the edges there, but. I still think he hit, he gets to the Clippers. And, and the reason why I say that is even though a lot of these teams are sort of gone out there and signed players and there's players they can't necessarily trade until, say, December 15 or, or January 15 because mm-hmm. they're newly signed players, 
the Clippers didn't really sign a lot of players in the offseason. So a lot of the guys they have, I guess, have been carried over from their previous team. So there's no real restrictions from moving those guys now, I guess, in that sense. So if they were to put a deal around, say, Tobias Harrison, a uh, future pick, or maybe Shea Gilgis Alexander, or I don't know, something of that nature, I think that wouldn't right. actually be a, pre- a bad Hall for Jimmy Butler, given you know he's an expiring deal and it seems kind of uh, toxic right now. But mm. I don't know. I think he's. I think he will force himself to the Clippers, and I think that fit makes sense too because the Clippers aren't a team that want to lose. I guess that that after dealing, but uh, sorry, Blake Griffin after moving on from DeAndre or Jordan, obviously Chris Paul. A lot of people were calling for them to tank, but they didn't want to do that. They kept trying to win and. They're not necessarily going to make the playoffs in the West this season, but it's not like they're going to win 23 games or something like that. They'll still be a 35 to 40 win team. So I think culturally, they sort of fit as well because they're not a team that wants to go backwards, particularly now with LeBron in in LA as well. They want to compete with the Lakers. So I like Butler in in, in, uh, LA too. Uh, completely. I mean, I, I like him there, too. It was just a matter of facilitating the trade because a lot of people pointed out it's kind of weird that you then you, you trade Blake Griffin, who's in the same age bracket as Jimmy Butler, and then actually trade for Jimmy Butler like half a year later, if that makes sense. But I kind of get the whole strategy behind it because Blake Griffin's deal was it was so large. And like he basically took up two players, like two star salaries, you know, because he got like the super duper max and or not the super duper. He got the he got the max, but he got like what one hundred and seventy three million. Yeah. I yeah, something ridiculous. And you know, flipping that off for or flipping that on for Tobias Harris, who is significantly cheaper, who's going to be a free agent, obviously just allows them more flexibility. And then they just kind of hit the reset button without actually hitting the reset button. You know what I mean? Like they get a guy in, in, in Harris who is more flexible. Like the, now let's say you trade him for Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Then you get like sort of the replacement for Blake Griffin because you got the established superstar, but the added financial flexibility allows you to go out and get guy number two, who in this case, Kyrie Irving, which is just so dramatically different than just having Blake Griffin in that sense. And I know DeAndre Jordan was there, but they left him like they 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 didn't even put up a fight. Like he he did they didn't move him. They just let him leave in free agency. So you can ask yourself how much value they could have gotten for him in a trade because of his let's be honest here, limitations in 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 the game. Like he's not an offensive player at all. And his defensive impact was kind of declining a little bit. You know, teams weren't offering, I think, a lot. It just made sense to move on. So the Clippers reshuffling their deck a little bit would be clever. And I agree with you that they have the pieces. Like you mentioned Shy. Like, yeah, he's an obvious trade candidate. Jerome Robinson, the 13th pick in the draft as well. Montressel Harrell, although he can't get traded right now because he was recently signed. But later on, because I don't think a trade is going to facilitate right now either way. But they have some pieces that can be moved for veterans and make a run at, at, at some sort of, you know, make a run at the finals, I suppose, within the next few years if they get the right pieces. The big question for me regarding the Clippers is what do they do with Gallinari? How do they move him? Because that's a lot of clocked up salary. Yeah, I mean, that's something they'll definitely have to work out. But, I mean, let, let, let's talk Wolves because, 
I mean, what should yeah. they do here? And in a way, in a weird way, I don't think this is necessarily the worst thing that could possibly happen because if things are toxic, I think the worst thing is trying to bring Butler back and trying to play out the season and trying to win. But in this case, at least Butler's indicated to them that he's not coming back so they can try to get something for him rather than losing him in the offseason mm. or next offseason for nothing. So... I don't think it's the end of the world. They could still get one or two okay pieces here for Jimmy Butler. It's obviously not what they wanted to do Absolutely. going into the season, but I, I mean, at some point you just gotta you, you gotta move on from a sunk cost and try to do the best you can with what you've got. So, what do you think the Wolves should do here, and what do you think they will do here, knowing that Tom Thibodeau is, uh, I guess, running the show here? Yeah, <laughs> I think what they will do and what they should do is pretty conflicting. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tom Tom wants to win. And so I didn't even say this beforehand. I have a feeling that Tom Thibodeau is not going to be the guy who negotiates the butter deal. I have a feeling he's going to be on the outs very soon, actually. In terms of because losing his, I guess, front office role losing or power. his coach or both? Yeah, losing his front office. No, maybe I don't think both necessarily unless he like – I think they are going to go to him. And and have a chat with him about and about stripping his front office duties. And if he reacts negatively and, and resigns, you know, then so be it. Um, but I, I think it's I think we're going to see a major restructuring of of his role in Minnesota. Now, going back to what the Wolves should be looking for, young assets that fit the age bracket of Towns and Wiggins. What they will be looking for. Guys who are closer to 30 than 20. <laughs> and that's probably going to be somewhat easy for him to attain because, let's be honest, the younger guys are just more attractive uh, assets at this point in time. And Tips want to win right now. And I get it. I, it's On some level, I get it. It's not logical, but they went to the playoffs once, like this past season. And that's the first time they made the playoffs since 2004. This organization is absolutely starving for wins. And having just tasted the playoffs for the first time in 14 years, I kind of understand the desperation of not wanting to revert back to, oh, let's do the typical thing of rebuilding once again. So there is a level of understanding from their point of view in my eyes, but that's just not how you build up properly. And now you know that Andrew Wiggins – is, is not going to be the guy that you thought he would be, which changes everything. Like, you cannot get out of that contract. There's nobody there to take it. I mean, I, I can't imagine there would be, at least. And and how does he go from here? Like, he what he's what in his – he's going to enter his fifth season? Uh, right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, fifth season. Like, when when are we going to see these supposed developments? Like, yeah, sure, he's gotten better in areas here and there, but it's been marginal improvements. Like I, I think Minnesota is screwed regardless, which is really sad. But they just they screwed themselves with that Wiggins extension, and now they have nowhere to go. Well, I mean, the irony in all this is, um, if 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 it makes sense for them to go that younger route now and, and start maybe mm. not a full rebuild because they've still got Carl Towns and 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 Wiggins, I guess, is something. Right. And I thought they had a pretty good draft last draft, but. Of course, the irony in them trying to go young again is the fact that they traded Jimmy Butler for young, or they traded young pieces for Jimmy mm. Butler. So that, that's the ironic thing. So it, it, it's a tough one for the Wolves, but I think they need to realize what the situation is. And I'm not sure Thibodeau will, but it, it's they've got to move on from him quickly, particularly 
it, it doesn't seem like things can be repaired based on what we've seen on social media the last uh, 24 hours. It seems like Butler, uh, Towns, and, and clearly Andrew Wiggins and, and even his brother have some issues there. So um, I think it's best yeah. for all parties to move on as to when they do it. I, I don't know, but it kind of has to happen. But what is it, what, what do we make of Jimmy Butler in terms of his leadership and his ego here? We talked about his leadership style, but... Can we put it all on him right. in terms of the way he goes goes about it? But further to that, I mean, he hasn't necessarily been in the most ideal situations. And, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that he needs to be a better leader, but he's been in two situations probably mm-hmm. in the last two to three seasons that haven't been, I guess, very favorable. Um, and again, stating what we've already right. stated, Butler needs to be better himself. But with Hoiberg, he... Hoiberg was a rookie coach, I guess. A new coach coming into the league was clearly different to Tom Thibodeau. That aging Bulls roster, that transitioning roster with a lot of younger players who probably didn't have it. And then obviously Butler came to to Minnesota with players as well who, uh, it from afar, it seems like they didn't necessarily give a crap either. So I, I guess whilst I'm questioning Butler's leadership and the fact that he may not be worth it given given the way he behaves, it's also important to note that the situations he's been haven't been ideal as well. So do you think Butler in a, in a, a correct situation in a, with a mature team, a team that's trying to win with players that actually give a crap, do you think this this type of Butler that we've kind of sort of seen over the last two or three seasons sort of rears its head? Yeah. I mean, I, well, not raise his head in a negative way, but in a positive way in terms of, you know, when he demands something, he has a roster alongside him that understand where he's coming from. Like you have to play to his mentality as well. Like we just talked about him being a leader means that he has to acclimate himself to to the players around him. But it goes both ways. Like, you know, when you're bringing in Jimmy Butler, that he is going to push buttons. He is going to be demanding. So what's essential is that you have the pieces there who understands where he's coming from as well. Like, Grant, I don't think he's ever going to be like the Steve Nash type leader. Like, let, let's get that out of the way right yeah. off the bat. I don't think he's going to be the unselfish leader, but it can still work even if you're not that. Just look at Kobe. Kobe and, and Jimmy are wired very much the same, very much the same. The only difference is, you know, Kobe's name was a lot bigger and, you know, he was a championship winner. He was a better player in his prime, at least. Um you know that that's the major difference. Uh, overall, they're wired exactly the same. Well, let way. me let me ask you this so question you then, because that I think that's yeah. a relevant point. And, and Jimmy is wired in the same way that Kobe is, in the same way I guess Michael Jordan was as well. And, and two legendary yeah. players, Hall of Fame players, those sorts of things. But the retort that you often get back to that when you mention the fact that those sort of leadership styles have succeeded in the past, those are very abrasive, all or nothing kind of guys, right? The, the the retort that you get back is Butler isn't good enough to command that type of respect or or isn't good enough to sort of lead in that way. Mm. So, what what do you make of that sort of uh, reaction from people when you sort of bring up those examples of maybe not Jordan but like even just right. Kobe or or someone of a, that abrasive nature? How how do people yeah. react? I mean, Kevin Garnett wasn't necessarily from the school of Steve Nash or Tim Duncan as well. So there's been a lot of players that have gone right. about it this way. But do you buy into that, that Jimmy Butler isn't good enough to be leading in the way he is? Well, no. Honestly, I think – well, there, I have two answers for that. One is no because there's – there's the perception of Jimmy Butler, and then there's the reality about Jimmy Butler, and you know specifically Jimmy Butler's game. The perception is that he's just like a middling all-star, which is entirely wrong. We've seen that firsthand. 
like this guy when fully healthy and let's for the time being ignore the fact that he had like the meniscus issue but a fully healthy jimmy butler is a top 10 nba player he's invaluable look at the team that the bulls put next to him in his final season there with rondo and wade he was absolutely amazing that year despite having virtually no spacing to feed off of imagine what he have done if instead of Rajon Rondo, the Bulls had signed, I don't know, Seth Curry, like a gunner who would have provided him more space. Butler is undoubtedly one of the primary two-way players, and, and it should be mentioned in the same breath as James Harden easily. And, and he isn't for, you know, for whatever reason, maybe even partly because he was with the Bulls. And the Bulls were looked at as a joke for many years. That didn't help his stock any. So the perception of Jimmy Butler is that he's this, well, an okay middling average all-star, which just isn't factual. That's So I would argue that Jimmy Butler has the game to support it. But if players around him are of the same opinion that, well, the perception of him is that he's not that player, then it won't matter. Because then they'll think, oh, he's just a middling all-star, so why should I pay attention? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a very good point. And, and maybe some players still, I guess, don't give Butler the credit because in, in one time, I guess, he was just a, a middling role player type thing who's who's probably had more or maybe probably, I guess, an equal amount of seasons where he wasn't an all-star as he was a, an all-star level player. Right. So he, he, I guess he may be still carrying that stigma, but it's each to their own in terms of that sense. But he's a four-time all-star now. I believe he's a top 10 player. I think I think that's clear. I know a lot of people... Don't necessarily agree with that, but to me, I think that's clear. But you mentioned a key word there, oh, yeah. perception, and I want to talk about perception of not only Jimmy Butler, but the trade itself that happened between the Bulls and the Wolves 15 mm. months ago. Because again, when I started this podcast, I mentioned the fact that we're going to be talking a lot of Wolves here, but inexplicably, the Bulls are always linked to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So yeah. <laughs> I want to... I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean... Fifteen months ago, basically, the the Bulls obviously traded Jimmy Butler to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and during that fifteen month period, there has been ongoing debate about a million things that have have caused it. But um, mm. there's always been some sort of linkage between the Bulls and the Wolves, and obviously today was no different. The news when the news broke that Butler had requested a trade, and that effectively the Wolves are only going to get fifty nine games out of him if he's moved before the season. Pretty much the the uh, the uh, I guess the conversation a lot amongst a lot of Bulls fans was the Bulls won this trade and I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I've I've got many takes and I think it's quite more it's a lot more complex than saying Team A Team B necessarily won the deal. I think it's in this situation at least it's very complex. So what I want to do now is talk about or reevaluate the Butler deal because I think it's worthy of doing that. I think I had a, a conversation with Doug Tonus maybe probably 12 months ago now reevaluating the deal when we sort of got to see Lowry marketing a bit more, when we got to see Chris Dunn a bit more. So it's mm-hmm. I guess what I want to do is, is just do that again because I think over time uh, a potential trade or a deal itself can change in value. So my first question to you yeah. is, is it fair to suggest that the value of, of a trade, not necessarily just this one, but trades in general, in general, can they change over time? Meaning, is it possible for the, the deal when it first went through to be maybe considered bad, but then over you know, 12, 15 months, whatever it may be, to change from 
from good or bad to to bad or good. You can look at it in two different ways. One is the here and now and the perception of it. Let's because at the end of the day, what you end up with it will only reveal itself in time, thus changing the effect of the trade. But let's look at what we know. Here's what we know. The Bulls gave up Jimmy Butler for Chris Dunn, who just came off like an awful, awful rookie season. Uh, and Zach Levine, who was coming off the, an ACL tear. And then they moved up, let me see, what was that? Nine spots yeah. in the draft. That's like That's the factual thing. They, that's what the, and they they gave that up for they gave Jimmy Butler up for that. That is not a lot. That's not a major return. Now, then you look at the context of it. Like Laurie Markkinen, and this is like Garpax admitted admitted this themselves. They had no idea who, he would be this good. So that's an obvious obvious asset. Chris Dunn improved dramatically from year one to year two. That's another asset. So when you look at those two factors, you go, oh, that's better than what I expected, right? That is absolutely correct, and that changes like the way that you look at a trade. But when you go back to the factual, like you look at the raw return from that date, you kind of go, "Oh, that's that's not a hell of a lot." And I, I still, I, I've, I've debated this on Twitter. People, you know, they call me insane for it, but I still go back to that trade, and I still feel to this day that the inclusion of the 16th pick was wildly unnecessary. I don't think Minnesota would have ultimately said, no, we're not going to do it. They just knew how to press the buttons in, in Chicago. When push came to shove, I'm absolutely sure you could have had that deal done without the inclusion of the 16th pick. I'm, I will never be convinced of otherwise. Um, so when you look at that trade in a vacuum, yeah, no, that was pretty horrible. But then the context comes in afterwards. You see the improved play. Now Zach Levine is the big question mark. Like what's he, he was abysmal last year. What's he going to do this you know, this year now? Is he going to become in like a 25-point scorer? In that case, that trade, again, changes and morphs itself into this view, this perception of, oh, this is a wonderful trade. But again, like the Bulls didn't even know marketing would be this good. So what were they expecting? What was the return that they were actually feasibly looking at? You don't know. So trades are this mythical being that you can't really, you know, get a firm grasp on, I feel. Yeah, look, for every single point that you mentioned there, that's why I think it's kind of hard for anyone to sit here and say right now that the Wolves or the Bulls, whichever team you want to suggest, won or lost the trade. Because to your point, and you seemed like you agree with me, the value of a deal can change depending on the, the lens yeah. you want to apply to it and the I guess the time filter that you want to apply with it. I completely agree. And I'm still of the view that if you focus purely on draft night when they made the deal, it was a bad deal based on the information we had at hand. Mm -hmm. But over time, things can morph into a way that we didn't necessarily expect and it can look better. And given the news now right. that Butler wants out of the Wolves, it probably looks even better now for the Bulls. So... I guess what I'm trying to say here is for those Bulls fans that are saying or declaring that the Bulls handedly won the deal, I don't think <laughs> you may be able to say that now, but I don't know if you can say that as confidently back come draft time. So I guess that's why it's fair to reevaluate the Butler trade now. And I think you can continue yeah. to do that for the, or for the next few years coming up. And I guess my next question is, when is the line as to when we can stop reevaluating the Butler deal? Because to me, just thinking about it logically, over the next sort of one to two seasons, you could probably still reevaluate the trade in terms of how it goes on from there. Obviously, you talked about 
Zach Levine right. and the fact that he's got a new contract coming back from that ACL injury. But how he returns may, again, alter the value of this trade. You mentioned Chris Dunn and the fact that he had a good season last year or a better season than his, uh, better yeah, better season season than his terrible rookie season. And you're correct, but... What happens if Dunn gets better? What happens if he gets worse? Like, I guess my point is, mm-hmm. when is the line as to when we can stop reevaluating this trade? Is is there a point when it has to have a, an end date? I mean, look, people are still discussing the Lakers Grizzlies trade with Al Gasol. That's, that's true. Which is which is like the perfect example of this exactly. as well. When you look at that trade in a vacuum, it's absolutely horrible for for Memphis, right? Because Marcus Gasol was an unknown commodity, like no, and and look, you can have smart asses coming out of the woodworks, you know, saying, "Oh well, I knew what Mark would become." No, you didn't. No one did. He was an absolute surprise. And look at that. I'm just going to read the trade up. This is I'm quoting from Basketball Reference, February first, two thousand and eight, and this is on Paul Gasol's page, traded by the Memphis Grizzlies with a 2010 second round draft pick. Uh, Devin E. Banks was later selected to the Los Angeles Lakers for Kwame Brown, Javaris Crittenton, Marcus All, Aaron McKee, a 2008 first round draft pick, Dante Green was later selected, and a 2010 first round draft pick, Grievous Vasquez was later selected. Paul Gasol at that point in time was very similar to the type of player Jimmy Butler is now in terms of where he is le- ranked league wide. That was like he was a franchise altering big man in an era where big men were highly valued. So that trade, obviously, when you look at it that way, like <laughs> Kwame Brown, Javaris Crittenson, Aaron McKee, that's pretty horrible because those draft picks coming back were obviously late. You know, it's, it's the Lakers. They just got Pau Gasol. You're not going to get lottery picks in return. But the trade morphed. Because Marcus All became, I I don't want to say this, but I think I have to became the better Gasol. Oh, that's a big call. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but he, I, I mean, uh, it's look, it's arguable, but irrespective of that, he became a damn good player, a franchise center for what's he been there? Probably ten years now. So they got great value in that sense from Powell. But yeah. it, to your point, it took us time to realize that. And again, depending on when you look at that specific trade. It obviously worked out for the Grizzlies in the end. Maybe there's a bit of luck in that, but the value proposition of a deal changed over time. And I still feel like the Butler deal can do that over the next two to three seasons, maybe, depending on what happens. And I didn't mention Lowry marketing, but if Lowry becomes an absolute stud, again, the value of the deal continues to change. And it's it's an interesting one. But I mean, beyond that, I guess I want to move past... Maybe I can't move past reevaluating the deal, but... Ultimately, does it matter what the Bulls sent out in the deal? In terms of the trade itself, do, do, should we, we as Bulls fans, be even concerning ourselves in terms of who won or lost the deal based on what the Bulls sent out? Or should we just be purely focusing on what the Bulls got in and the development of those players? Is that all that matters at this point? Yes. I Look, when the, all the news about Butler came out, Bulls fans came out like warriors, like, oh, we won the trade doesn't matter. Well, yeah, of course it matters winning a trade. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying context matters more. It's not about like this isolated view of winning a trade. That, that's not what it comes down to. Like even if this, even if Laurie Markkinen becomes an MVP candidate and Zach Levine becomes a 25 point scorer and Chris Dunn becomes the best two-way point guard in the NBA and the Bulls win off five championships in a row, 
you can still go back to that trade and go, should they have included 16th? Like, there will always be that thing. You can always go back to look at it. I'm just, I still think it was weird. I think it was unnecessary. But I think it's also time to just kind of move forward with the pieces that they have and not really think about it as a trade anymore. Just think about it as player development. They started from the bottom. They had to, they had to do something because clearly, you know, things weren't working out. Now they, they, they made that call and now we're here. I mean, then you can argue, I think the debate should actually switch into or shift into is, Le, is Zach Levine and Jabari Parker like the route you should take? Is the players that you're going after free agency, not now, but later on, are those the right players? Like, are, is this rebuilding going the way that it should be? So far, people are just focused on the tour, on the trade from last year as some sort of, you know, indicator of what's to come. Whereas, like, no, that's just the beginning. I mean, that's the foundation of the the, the, fu- the future. But what do you put on top of that foundation? That's what it's important to me, at least, and, and I hope to everyone else, because that's what's essential. If the Bulls mess up the house building, even though they you know have right now, admittedly, a fairly good foundation, then it's all for moot. Yeah, look, I completely agree. And, and but look, basically at this point, the Bulls only have one piece from that deal that has proven that they have a potential high ceiling, and that's Larry Markkinen. Whilst I'm still hopeful of Zach Levine and Chris Dunn being able to get it together, based on what we know right now, before the season has commenced and before we've seen Dunn and Levine back at it, it's kind of hard to say the mm-hmm. Bulls have necessarily won the trade given that there's only one piece coming back in that trade that looks like it's going to be really good. If Levine sucks and he's making $20 million a year, that's not great. But look, I think in an odd way, even though we've just spent the last 10 or 15 minutes discussing the fact that we can continuously reevaluate the Butler deal over the next one, two, three seasons, whatever it may be, maybe Butler being dealt to a team like the Clippers will in some ways end that conversation because that link between the Bulls and the Wolves may in a sense end itself, particularly... If Butler leaving brings upon the end of the Thibodeau era, which probably isn't going to be that far behind Jimmy Butler. So in, in a sense, whilst we can continually reevaluate the deal, maybe naturally that storyline will sort of just dissipate. And to your point, it will become more about how is this development going on rather than how did the Bulls doing that Butler deal, which has been a constant topic over the last 15 months. So it's an interesting one, but uh, <laughs> look... In light of that, or maybe, uh, I guess, ironically, what I want to do is uh, continue that conversation about the Butler deal. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go for it. But uh, instead of talking about the deal itself, I want to play a bit of a game of uh, of what if here. And look, obviously, Mm -hmm. this this trade going down or this potential trade happening, it made me think back to, obviously, the, the Bulls, the trade the Bulls made back with Minnesota 15 months ago. And... I started asking myself, what if? And it was a question that I asked myself a lot last season when Butler was with the Wolves and playing so damn good. People forget that uh, the Wolves were in the third seed out in the West and Jimmy Butler was playing like an MVP candidate before he got hurt there. And I I guess there was a little bit of, um, you know, a sliding doors type moment where you're thinking, what if the Bulls had kept Jimmy Butler? Obviously, they didn't necessarily want to do that. One for, for personnel clashes, I guess. It was either going to be him or Fred Hoiberg to an extent, but at the same time, they didn't necessarily want to pay Jimmy Butler his next contract, which I understand. There's definitely a risk to that. But still, it's interesting to play that what-if game because 
Butler clearly wants a big market, mm-hmm. which the Bulls obviously are. And for for Butler to be in a big market with a team with cap space, it just seems like there's this uh, writing on the wall potentially that he and a max free agent, let's just call it Kyrie Irving in this case, because that has been the scuttlebutt around the league, I guess, for the last 12 months that these two want to play together at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean... Just the what if scenario is, I guess, had the Bulls kept Butler, had ample cap space in the in the bank for say twenty eight or sorry twenty nineteen twenty uh, free agency, which is obviously you know uh, twelve months away. Let's call it maybe a little bit less than that, ten months away. What do you think would have been a better situation? What the Bulls have now in terms of a rebuilding team around Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., maybe even Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. Or the opportunity to pair someone like Jimmy Butler, who we consider a top 10 player, with maybe another guy who's not necessarily top 10, but maybe top 15, top 20 in Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. What situation would you as a fan be more enthused about? Well, the known commodities, of, of course. I mean, look, Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving, assuming that was the thing, and and remember, like there were actually some discussions be, uh, about Kyrie wanting to come to Chicago to play with Jimmy Butler, and I think, I, I think the situation here is about acknowledging what you have. You know, Jimmy Butler, like we say, is a top ten player, and I think the Bulls completely missed on the fact that top ten play top ten players want to play with one another. Like they didn't leverage the fact that they had Jimmy Butler enough. Um, so when you ask me about what I prefer. Well, I, I would prefer the known commodities. Look, Laurie Markkinen is awesome. He might be, or not might be, he's already very, very good. He might become more than that. He might become an All-NBA player down the line, and that's going to be fantastic. But then we're going to go into the same conversation because he's going to get paid. Then he's going to you know, be in his late 20s. Then he's going to be up for his second contract. Then what? Are the Bulls going to say, oh, that's going to be too expensive. Let's get rid of him. And then thus a cycle will just continue this way. At some point, you have to spend money. At some point, you have to look at your established talent and use it as leverage to get you know, uh, high-quality players in board, like all-stars. You, ha- you have to leverage them. The Bulls didn't. They've never done that in that sense. So you know, I would prefer the second option absolutely because that's how you get closer to winning a championship yeah and i mean that's a fair point it's hard to argue against whilst i don't necessarily know if there's a right answer to this question it's 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 a good one to i guess pose but i think your response there is perfectly fair as well and and going with the known commodities is an acceptable route and it's obviously one that teams like the Houston Rockets would probably would have uh, favored with. It seems like a team like the Clippers are more inclined to do that. Obviously, the Minnesota Timberwolves are more interested in going with the win-now approach rather than building long-term around their younger pieces. But I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to that, but I think it's fair. But the only thing I pause on is, I, I guess, Jimmy's age and maybe his injury history coupled with someone like Kyrie, who himself isn't necessarily right. the most reliable guy. But I, I guess, to your point... The in the NBA where it's a five man game, five on five, the 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 talent that you have on on the court and the known talent that you have on court can really sway things. And when you can have someone like Jimmy Butler, even though he'd probably be thirty years old at that point, and, and someone like Kyrie would be like twenty seven, even with those injury histories, getting those two on on max deals in Chicago and filling the, like that that roster around them with role players that that would have been pretty exciting. So. 
obviously it's not a done deal. It had they retained, but that doesn't necessarily mean Kyrie Irving would have walked through the door, but you would have put yourself in the game from potentially making that happen. Whereas now you're hoping what you've got here with Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., etc., that they can maybe get to a, a 50-win ceiling like the Bulls could have done with Butler and Irving and, and a bunch of role players. So, yeah, it, I, I, I don't know why, but I play these what-if what games with myself, and, and it's an interesting sliding doors moment with the Bulls because basically what the Clippers are trying to do with Jimmy Butler, let's assume they try to trade in for him and opening max cap space to bring in a guy like Kyrie, that's pretty much something the Bulls could have could have had themselves. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The Bulls easily could have. Look, the Bulls had so many options with Butler. Um, we all sit here and present that. Oh, okay. It was either you know stay in mediocrity or rebuild to get significantly better. No, that no. It's it's not an either or situation. Like if you keep Jimmy Butler, you can still do things. Yeah, you have to pay him an obscene amount of money. But like I said previously, that is going to be true with Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter if, if Carter becomes like good down the line as well. Like at some point, you got to open the wallet to make things happen, and you have to you know lose that use that leverage. It, it might not have been Kyrie; it could have been someone else. And and here's the residual effect as well. Like let's assume you have Butler and you know yeah, let's just say Kyrie for the sake of the argument. How many guys are going to take a pay cut to play with those guys? Probably a fair bit. So you could have players who are significantly below market value on your cap who outproduce their contract year in and year out because they want to create something special. Again, that is a a total what-if scenario. But there were there were opportunities that the Bulls had with Jimmy Butler. They just squandered them. Like the Dwayne Wade for Sean Rondo summer – is a prime example. And honestly, I don't think we as an NBA community talk enough about how bad the 2016 summer was for the Bulls, how much they screwed themselves by making the Dwayne Wade for Sean Rondo signings. You had Jimmy Butler in his absolute prime of his life on a very reasonable deal, even though it was max, like that was just his max. It, it wasn't like the, the super max. And you had a lot of money to spend, which you could have facilitated via trade. Like you could have traded draft picks to get, I don't know, like the Chris Middletons of the world inside. But you instead chose two players who don't fit his game, who were old, didn't even fit his age bracket. And what exactly were you hoping to achieve? So, you know, it's it's a matter of context and perspective. It is, and obviously these are hypotheticals. We'll obviously never know the answer to these questions, and I can feel the pitchforks in my back already from Bulls fans poking me, wondering why the hell I'm talking about these sorts of situations and not focusing on the positive sport of Chris Dunn, Larry Markin, Zach Levine, etc. But look, I think it's a worthy topic given Butler's status in the league and obviously the obvious connection yeah, to sure. the Chicago Bulls. And I don't know. I can't help but to think what if. And I think it's fair to think what if, as well as re-evaluating the deal, rather. So I wanted to talk about it. But at the same time, I won't lie. I'm I'm thrilled that there is news and NBA news and NBA drama with Tom Thibodeau, <laughs> Jimmy Butler, and whatever the team they're on. Stephen Jackson. Stephen Jackson. And it has nothing to I do with that. the Chicago Bulls. I am pleased that we've gone through an offseason with a, a relatively drama-free 
off-season here with the Chicago Bulls. So, in a way, even though we've spent a lot of time talking about the Wolves, I'm just I'm thrilled that the Bulls have sort of avoided the drama. And that's great. That is great. Mm. That's a good news story, right? It, it is. But you know what? We can actually flip it over to something positive. Like, yes, the, the Bulls have made some weird decisions in recent years. They still do. But it seems that they've got to hang on one thing now. Something's changed. And I, I want to give them this credit. The past two seasons, they've drafted freshmen out of college and not gone the, the senior route. And I think that's because they finally realized that, you know, their their approach – and I know Chandler was yeah, first drafted. That, oh, but that was going to be uh, like, my it, rebuttal, but go, go on. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. I know. I know. Uh, but but in terms of like the yeah, high lottery yeah. graphics, it, it seems like the, the Denzel Valentine exper- experiment as well was like, oh, he, he's coming in. He's NBA ready. Like this NBA ready mentality that they had going into the draft. It seems they actually taking a step back on that a little bit and armed themselves with very necessary patience and realized that players who are significantly younger comes with more potential. So that's a step in the right di- direction. Now, granted, it took them five years to realize this, but better late than, than never, I guess. So that is a positive. And for next year, I, I don't necessarily think the Bulls will be good next year. I could see them drafting somewhere in the same area again, like seventh, maybe ninth. And there are a load of freshmen coming in. And I wouldn't be surprised, again, if they take another freshman who has a high ceiling. In which case, you could be looking at a core of Laurie Markkinen, Wendell Carter, and whoever is chosen in, in 2019 as the new era coming in, which allows you to move on, potentially, from Zach Levine or Chris Dunn if some of those guys don't work out. And of course, you have full team control of Jabari Parker. So there are some things to like about the Bulls, but it seems like management is taking these small evolutionary steps just far too infrequently. But they are being taken, unlike, like, say, the Knicks, where, you know, James Dolan is just you know, stomping on the old things that he's always done. Like, there's no progression being made. Like, you essentially have to get completely lucky in the draft and select, you know, Chris Porzingis to has to see any effect. Otherwise, it's just him doing the same thing over and over again, which is the, <laughs> you know, the, the basically insanity with the Bulls. It does seem like they're evolving, just not in the speed that we want them to, but it's happening. Hey, I mean, it took the, the human race a long time to evolve from chimpanzees or whatever we were to what we are now. So the bulls are going faster than that. Yeah. So look, I guess we've got to give them credit for that, right? But um... I, I mean, look, uh, yeah. And, and honestly, I had a good conversation with Mark Deeks at one point regarding the, the bulls because, you know, he... <laughs> He called me pessimistic, and he was absolutely right because I am. Um, but but here's the thing: what what I think the main issue is, you have a lot of div- divided Bulls fans. It, it, probably even on this podcast, people listening right now, I know that you know you have someone who is like completely pro Bulls, who is sitting back thinking, "Oh my God, that Morton is saying a lot of bullshit." Yeah, absolutely. Yep, you have those guys, and you have. Guys who are very skeptical of management, very anti-bulls, going, oh, yeah, you know, I'm with Mort on this one and Mark because these these guys are not doing what they're supposed to. And But that divide comes from this. The Bulls can make a really, really good decision that is universally beloved. Then they can turn around just days later and do something that is universally hated and completely illogical. It's the fact that they don't provide 
anyone in the NBA community, fans or pundits or whatever, with any sort of consistency. It's the fact that you can't really expect them to follow up a good move with a good move. It, it almost always ends up being something good, something bad. There's nothing in between. It's either really good or it's really bad. And you just sit there completely being thrown off. Like if I, I could imagine fans react very differently emotionally to that as well. Like, where should I stand on this? The first thing was was great. And I just lauded them for drafting Wendell Carter. Now they re-signed Zach Levine to 78 million. I, what the hell? Like they throw fans all over the court emotionally. And I, I get it. I get the frustration. I get the why you separate the waters. And my hope is that they are finally realizing that by taking this different approach to the draft, that they are doing something that is more sane than they did before. Well, I mean, you just defined my existence there, my existence, Rala. I mean, that was me in the offseason after Wendell Carter draft was drafted. I was very excited, but then in came Jabari Parker, yep. and I became uh, a sad Bulls fan again. But look, let I'm going to try to ignore that sort of stuff for the moment. The season's coming up coming up very soon it's time to be mm-hmm. positive i guess and and like i said before maybe this butler deal if it goes through if it becomes a clipper maybe the whole thing can end and we can just focus on the development of the team and i feel good about larry Markin and i feel really good about wendell carter jr whilst the the pieces other pieces around him i'm not necessarily convinced about it's it, you could be worse off than having you know larry Markin and wendell carter jr so that that is the upside that is the good news yeah. and we should end on that note more and um, yeah, let's let's end on the end on that positive note because um, let's, let's, do, let's that. do that. that because I don't want to be that pessimistic Bulls fan, even though I get labelled that. But whatever, let's end on that note. Oh yeah, I've been labelled. Yeah. <laughs> Mort, I appreciate you jumping on. The people will probably already know, but tell tell them all where they can uh, follow you online. You can follow me on Twitter at msjnba, and you can. Listen to the, my podcast that I run alongside Brian Toporek at The NBA Pod, which is so creatively called The NBA Podcast. Very apt indeed. Mort, I appreciate you coming on I, again. You're Like I said, you're, you're Bulls HQ regular, so thanks for jumping on, mate. And Bulls fans, like I said before, Bulls HQ is back now for the season. I'm back from my break, so we'll be back again next week talking Bulls, probably more so than Wolves this time around. We'll be back with a season preview to uh, preview the season coming up, which should be hopefully an exciting one, hopefully more improvement from Larry Markin, and we get to see what Wendell Carter Jr. is all about. So stay tuned. Get get that in your feeds in a week's time, and Bulls HQ is back. So thank you for joining me, and I'll catch you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. 
Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.